The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the monthly guest Dharma series. Yeah, so I, I really honor you in your aspiration to do that. You know, it's a real nobility of heart. It's a, a pull of the heart. And what happens is we really start to listen to that. And it nurtures us. You know, we find that as we learn through meditation how to be more present, how to be aware, we, we start to see these qualities of loving kindness, compassion, wisdom. They start to come through. And so... Many times it can be that we come to practice, we um, get really inspired, maybe we meet people who just being in their presence, it ignites something in us and brings forth inspiration. If they can do it, I can do it too. And this is completely wonderful. And then it happens that day after day, we get up, we do a bit of practice, we try and practice in our day, and then... We wake up one day and, oh, not today. You know, or, or just in a moment, I've seen many times in my own mind, I'm in some complex situation, and I remember, be aware. But then the next thought is, nope, not now. I'll do it later. You know, I can't do it now. You know, in, in some way, pushing it away. And then there could be some activities that we do that are really quite mindless. And we just keep doing them behavioral patterns that we have, habits that we have, where, yeah, it doesn't feel very good, but, you know, too much to be aware in the midst of this. We just have places in our lives where we habitually fall asleep or we become complacent. Or, you know, it's like we want the big inspiration and if it's not there in all its glory, I don't want to practice. No, I don't want to just be present. No, it's boring. No. So it could be any of this. It could be all of this. And much more different flavors of this. And so tonight, what I want to talk about and share with you is four reflections that really help to break through complacency, that help to turn the mind in the right direction, and when I say that, it's like turning the mind in the direction towards truth. And, and sometimes, that, you know, it's like there needs to be somewhat of a cutting through there because we have become entranced by experiences. We have become habituated towards looking for happiness outside of ourselves. And in our lives seeking after things that we think will bring happiness. And then, lo and behold, it might for a little while, but then it changes. Things change, and it doesn't anymore. And then we have to look for the next hit, the next fix. And so that way of living is really unsatisfactory. And it's a lot of hard work. Where really, if we turned our minds in the direction towards truth, we can discover a, an inner wealth. An inner wealth where we can find a happiness where we don't need things to be a certain way in order to be happy. We can discover these qualities of love, compassion, wisdom within ourselves. So what happened, what these reflections that I'm going to talk about they help to break through the delusion that keeps us in complacency, that keeps us taking life for granted, that keeps us looking outside of ourselves for this happiness, and to looking towards the way things really are. There are reflections that one can do at different times in life where either can do it on a daily basis as an exploration that, that for me helps to bring up energy, interest, that help, can help to inspire and appreciate life here and now. Uh, can do it the beginning of a day, beginning of a sitting. Uh, can do it in times when we realize 
that on some level we're deadening to our life. We're taking something for granted. We're not fully participating in our life. And it just is a way of arousing energy and a way of breaking through deluded perception. So these, these are called four mind-changing reflections or four thoughts that turn the mind towards the Dharma. And these are commonly taught in the Tibetan tradition, but they are teachings that are un- not unique. They really are teachings that you're probably very familiar with, but might not have had packaged in the way of having them put together in this way. But there, to me, is a usefulness in using them as reflections. So the first reflection is around seeing and appreciating the preciousness of this human birth. And I'm going to put it in the language that Mingyur Rinpoche, my teacher, uses in one of his teachings. He says, seeing its many wonderful qualities... I rejoice and delight in this human life. Is that what you thought when you woke up this morning? You know, do we wake up and go, yay, another day, I'm here. Or do we wake up and go, oh man, so much to do today. You know, I just want it to be over. I just want to get things done and be, over, be done with some of this. Or, oh, wow, I just want to go to sleep again. Can I just sleep a bit longer? I mean, that's one of my favorites. (laughs) But there really is something precious, wondrous to the fact that we have this human life. Excuse me. It's really even actually said in Buddhist teachings that it's not so easy to get a human life and that a human life has many, endows us with many capacities and capabilities that can help us to awaken. We could have been born as anything. When you look around just even this world, never mind that they, I can't remember how many um, planets that they're estimating could be like planet Earth in the, in the whole configuration of, of um, the universe. But just even on this planet, how many forms of life there are. We could have been born an insect. You know, and some insects have such a short lifespan. We could have been born an animal. And this isn't to belittle these forms of life at all, but that there's a uniqueness to the human life. And with the animal realm, I know for myself, I've sat outside in nature a lot. I love to be in nature. And sitting outside in nature, one of the most striking things to me is to see how much fear there is in animals. To see, and this comes from basic survival, just trying to survive. It's like looking over your shoulder for that predator that's going to take your life. And so, so much energy is consumed in that level of survival. And then as human beings, we do have instincts of survival. And that it's not to say that's not important. But we also have this capacity to not be limited by survival. And we see evidence of this by the fact that there is people who encounter illness, who die, but do so with peacefulness, with grace, who aren't limited or defined by it. People who touch into this inner wealth that we all have. And this is something of our potential, what we have as human beings. And yet, 
we tend to overlook that in the gruelingness of life. And, you know, it is not easy to be a human being on the planet at this time. At least that's my experience. And so, you know, on one sense, it makes sense that we get caught up in the struggles of it. But in that, we lose sight of the preciousness of this birth. And so it can be helpful just to bring this to mind and to look at what it is in our lives that we can appreciate. I mean, we are living here. I mean, we're sitting in a beautiful building that's heated, that has lights. We may have driven a car to get here or have public transport that gets us here. Or we might, maybe we rode our bicycle and, and, you know, we can keep in shape doing that. But in some way, we had the mobility to get ourselves here. We often have family, friends, people around us that we care for. We have ways of coming together with other people to share. We have awareness that allows us to see, to hear, to smell, to taste, to touch. And out of that, we can share our experience with others. We can think. We can apply thoughts. It's kind of amazing that all of this happens. We didn't ask for it. It's here. It's happening whether we like it or not. And then, out of it, is this potential. And we actually live in a time where there is teachings that can point our minds towards realizing our full capacity as human beings. In our lives here, we have the opportunity for practice. You know, to to take the time to just sit, be quiet with ourselves. It's wonderful. Can we appreciate it? Can we rejoice in it? It's, it's a good thing to do, for me anyways, first thing in the morning. Because that is, you know, for me, coming out of the fog, it's not always easy. Some days it's okay. But just... You know, at that time, to to lay there for a moment and just appreciate the wonder of waking up. The wonder of entering into a new day. The wonder of being alive here with all of our sense doors this wonder of awareness itself. And then noticing the effect that this has. Gratitude. Appreciation. How it just fosters kindness, care. That it opens our hearts in some way. So this first reflection, seeing its many wonderful qualities, I rejoice and delight in this human life. The preciousness of this human birth and the potential that is within it. Can you hear in the back there? You okay? Not so, so. Do we have a sound person here? Can we have it up a little bit? Thank you. So the second reflection is around impermanence. Like waves in the ocean, all things are impermanent. I will accept whatever happens and make it my friend. So impermanence is really a fact of life. That all conditioned things have the nature to change. 
You know, this is everything in our conditioned world has the nature to change. And most of us know this, and hopefully you've heard this many times before. Um, we understand it on some level. You know, we, we know that the weather changes. We know that the conditions of our bodies change. We know that uh, the world around us is changing. But very often, we have a limited appreciation of this, where we're pretty okay when change happens and it's our back pain that's been there for a while disappears, or our knee pain, or maybe we've been caught in anger and suddenly it's gone. That's kind of nice. We can appreciate that. But there's other things we don't appreciate so much. It can be you know, simple things like, well, it's not so simple on one level, but just having a job that we really love, <coughs> enjoy. But then things change in the world, the economy, and it's gone. That's a bit, little bit harder. Or it might be that someone who's been very near and dear to us, maybe our partner, suddenly decides this relationship is over in the way that it's been. Moves away. Friends move on. Friends we've been close to. Somebody dies. Somebody we were close to. You know, where the places where we have been in some sense having some sense of security, a sense of this brings happiness, a fullness to my life, which it does. You know, these are can be wonderful things, and there's nothing wrong in them. But when we're using that as the way that we keep ourselves happy, then when things change, we are disappointed. We can feel betrayed. I remember myself going through a time where, you know, in my own practice where things had been going really well and it felt like doors were opening in my mind. And then suddenly it was like hitting a wall. And, you know, things had just changed. Conditions weren't the same. But I felt like betrayed by the Dharma because it wasn't so easy anymore. Practice wasn't so um, joyful, easeful. And so there was a sense of betrayal, which can happen when somebody leaves us. A sense of betrayal. Rather than realizing that any time we enter into a relationship, it's a conditioned experience. And in some way, one day, it will transition. You know, whether it is through um, a parting of ways, whether it is through death, this is just a natural occurrence. Things come together and then they separate. It's the way things are. And so if we don't live with the understanding of the truth of impermanence, we will suffer each time these transitions happen. And you know what happens too is if we don't really have it on that understanding, then we find when things are pleasant when things are the way we like them, then we start trying to hang on to them. And that in itself becomes exhausting. So it becomes really helpful to know this on a deep level, this truth of impermanence. And fortunately for us, those of us who are drawn to meditation, it is something we can examine right within our practice. We can see moment to moment in our experience. You know, with, with one breath, we can see the change that occurs in it. We can see the changes in thoughts in the mind. They come, they go, they come, they go. They're continually changing. We can see it in our emotional states, how they change. Sensations in the body. And it's really helpful to see it over and over and over again. 
because it helps to really get to know it on the cellular level where we have deep insight into this is the nature of conditioned experience, which is actually a gateway to liberation because it's so powerful in the uprooting of attachment in the mind. But it's also helpful to simply reflect on it, to give it some thought. You know, maybe reflecting on this day, in the day that we've just had, was there places where we lapsed into the illusion of permanence? That it's always going to be this way. That's for me a sure sign. You know, and I watch it around physical health a lot. Go through a few days, you're not feeling well, and then you're feeling better. Oh, now I'm going to be okay. You know, and it's going to be this way forever until the next time. But there's a, this lapsing into this is how it is. I've seen it too in things where, where maybe there's somebody I've had challenges with. And, but then one day, it just isn't bothering me. My heart stays more open in conversation with them. And just a feeling like, oh yeah, I've worked through that difficulty. I'm okay now. And then, you know, one day I'm triggered in a really similar way. You know, then again, just lapsing into this sense that this is how it's always going to be. It really plays into this preciousness too. Because when we're acutely aware of impermanence, we realize this moment is what we have. Right here, right now. You know, the future is promised to no one. I remember one of my poems in, probably 16, I guess, was around this. You know, the future is promised to no one. It's something we know intellectually, which I'm sure is all that I I was speaking from was an intellectual understanding, but we see it. But can we really live from this place? Can we let this reflection in? And what Mingu Rinpoche is saying and how he's framed this is, like waves in the ocean, all things are impermanent. I will accept whatever happens and make it my friend. So yes, we fully participate, engage with all this changing experience and make it our friend, but we do so with wisdom, knowing that this too will pass. This too is impermanent. So then the third reflection is around karma the law of cause and effect. And so he says, when causes and conditions come together, a result is sure to follow. So I will do my best to help others and engage in positive deeds. The understanding of the law of karma is really important in our lives. Because without this understanding, we will continue to do things that perpetuate the cycle of suffering. And the law of karma is really, you know, on one level there's a simplicity, although it gains in complexity, huge complexity. But in simplicity, it really is that things don't happen in a vacuum. That when we do things, we say things, they have consequences. We're planting seeds. Our actions, um, how we live our life, has consequences. I mean, we can see this. If we don't take care of our physical body, we get sick. You know, if we, if we, we might not see this if we're caught in it, But if we have tendency towards aversion and anger and we're not aware of it, we start living a life where we keep lashing out, we keep blaming, we keep um, finding ourselves in a rage because that's the seeds we're planting. 
you know, it, it, on one level, the simplicity is if you plant a tomato seed, you will get a tomato plant. You won't get a turnip if you plant a tomato seed. And so on a, on a level of our actions, we, when we plant seeds, the, what we do has consequences. Not only what we do, but what we're motivated by in what we do. Because we can do things that can have the appearance of being something that is really good and wholesome, helpful. And when I say wholesome, I'm meaning that which leads towards the alleviation of suffering, that which fosters harmony, that which fosters goodwill. And and when we do unwholesome things, it's like that which perpetuates the cycle of suffering. So it's really around the types of seeds that we plant in our lives. And so if we do things that come from being present in our life, being aware and responding with a kind heart, responding with generosity, responding with just being able to listen to somebody when they're in pain, when in our lives we are doing our best to turn up. We're planting wholesome seeds that will ripen, that will be helpful in this desire of our hearts to alleviate suffering. If, on the other hand, in our life, we don't pay attention to what we're doing, that we, out of that, end up hurting people, harming people. You know, through it could be through our speech, saying things that are harmful, hurtful to others. It could be through actions where we just act as if we're the only person in the world and we don't really care and just get out of my way. It's about me. That, ha- that too will have consequences. You know, and it, it isn't that karma ripens in... You know, it's like you plant a seed and boom, there's the flower. Like when you plant a seed, there has to be causes and conditions that come together around it that support the blossoming of that seed. And so the understanding of this law also helps us to see that we live in a world of interconnectedness. That, you know, it's not as if we're this independent being that can have everything be the way we want it to. And so we really learn that what one of the things that I have found in my own life is the understanding of this law is very empowering because it means that we can't stop um, seeds from the past ripening where we might find ourselves in really challenging, difficult situations. We can't stop anger from arising in our mind, but we can stop we can pay attention to how we meet the experience. And that's where we can have an effect on future seeds. And so if we can learn to be mindful, be aware in our lives, that's where we're no longer feeding anger when it arises, but we're aware of anger. Or, you know, that's where... In a moment, it could be in a moment where um, something happens, if we're fully present, we can plant the seeds of seeing somebody in distress and responding with kindness. So we have a choice when we are present. And it's not that we just want to have in our heads, I just need to do good, do good, because we can get lost in the definition of what's good. But we can really start to turn our mind towards things in our lives that help to alleviate suffering, distress, that bring about harmony, that bring about wakefulness, that help us to be able to discern what's helpful, what's useful. And to be able to let go of things that we're doing that simply perpetuate suffering. So, 
there's a real empowerment that comes when we're willing to look at this law of karma and begin to pay attention in, to our, in our lives to what kind of seeds we are planting. And we, one way to do that is simply at the end of a day to reflect. <coughs> what kind of seeds did I plant today? And if we remember a moment where we were kind, caring, if we feel like you know we really did our best just to be aware in our day, we can rejoice. We can be happy. And this isn't about building up a sense of, I'm a great person. It's rejoicing in this inclination of the mind towards that which is whole, that which is helpful. And, you know, it's something that, for many of us, goes against the grain of how we usually live our lives because we're pretty good at looking in the mirror and seeing everything we don't like about ourselves. We're pretty good at seeing any faults that we think that we have. We can be really harsh, critical, judgmental about our behavior. Oh, you're so stupid. Why did you say that? Why, why did you do that? You're not doing this right. You're an idiot. You're never going to get this right. You know, we can be so critical and harsh. But coming to a moment of really rejoicing in a moment of kindness... And maybe it was simply, you know, smiling at somebody in the supermarket. Who knows? You know, just little things. But we gloss over them. We don't see them. And so it can be really helpful to begin to notice these moments. And then if we reflect on our day, maybe we do see things that we didn't feel so good about. But in the seeing of them, again, it's like we can meet this experience with awareness, with presence. Oh, yeah. That caused pain. That caused suffering in it for either for another person or for myself right now in the remembering of this. But we don't have to beat ourselves up, be guilty. We can recommit right there to wakefulness, to honesty, to presence, to doing the best we can with our lives. And so this, this way of just reflecting what seeds are we planting in our lives? It can be really helpful, empowering. So again, what Mingyur Rinpoche says, when causes and conditions come together, a result is sure to follow. So I will do my best to help others and engage in positive deeds. No, it's really just wanting to do the best we can in our lives and paying attention, putting our energy effort behind this in our lives. And then the fourth reflection is, the sufferings of beings is mainly produced by the mind. I must free myself from self-created bonds. This has to do with what's called the defects of samsara. And this, the defects of samsara, is part of this changing nature of reality that it can never really produce the happiness that we would like to get from it. That that just in itself is a defective view of our lives. Um, and that the pursuit of that how we keep trying to get that in our lives is quite amazing. At least this is something I've seen in my own mind. Actually, <clears throat> you know, it really comes around... <sighs> and this is not saying that there's anything wrong in the pleasurable things of life, but that how our mind relates to that and how it has this tendency then... You know, once we get pleasure from one experience, we just want to revisit that. We want more of it. And that we, that leads into the whole grasping, the getting, the having, the becoming that is unsatisfactory. No, and it's through practice again, it's amazing to watch this tendency. 
I've just, I've seen it in sometimes in simple ways when I've gone on retreats, you know, silent retreats, as probably many of you here have done. So going on retreat and really wanting to set everything up in my, you know, whether it's a cabin or a room that I have, get everything in its nice place, bring all of the right things so that I'll be comfortable, I'll be at ease, that I won't have any desires pulling on me because everything's just perfect. Even if it's a bit simpler, it's still just perfect. And having everything be just so. I mean, okay, then transfer this to our little homes. Do we do this in our home? You know, do we try and set everything up just right? So, you know, it's not really on that level of providing ease, comfort. And then, so going on retreat, you, I mean, you, it's one place you really never know what's going to happen, what's going to come up. I, I remember going on retreat, and I was in one cabin. It was lovely. I just fell in love with it, looked out into the woods in a really beautiful way. You know, the sun was just nice, really nice. And then something happened, and there was a breakdown in the facilities in the cabin, and I had to move. And that, you know, that was it just kind of shook me, rattled me out of my secure little nest that I had crawled into. Um, and so, you know, the move that unsettled, whatever. And then I get into the new cabin, and then I watch the same thing happen all over again. You know, just trying to set it up in the right way. You know, and then, you know, I've had this thought that keeps reoccurring over my life, and it is, you're never going to set up a pleasant little samsara. You know, and yet I watch. You know, it's like, it is the lesson I can't quite get. And so I keep repeating, repeating, repeating. But, you know, what I, what I see is that it isn't about all of that. Yeah, we can, we can really do things that you know, set it up in a way that works. No problem. We don't have to torture ourselves either. But looking at how our mind's relating, really checking in on this level. Because if we are just, you know, kind of nesting in that way of creating a cocoon that is subject to change, that is not going to stay this way, and that's what our happiness is based on, again, it's just defective. It's not gonna. It's not gonna work for us. You know, I I, I um, had one student once who, through his practice, at a certain point, he said he just realized, you know, it's like I've been betting on the wrong horse. You know, when we keep looking outside into the external world to get it right, no, we're not gonna find happiness there. Turning around, so we. This is where this reflection helps us to turn and look in the right direction. What's our relationship with the world around us? Where are we fostering attachment and aversion? Where are we stuck in our relationship to the world that just breeds dissatisfaction? Sometimes we don't like to hear about the defects of samsara. You know that it can sound pessimistic, pessimistic, or it sounds negative in some way. But it is just pointing towards a truth that the conditioned world can't dish up all the hope that we have of fulfillment, can't dish up what we've been deeply seeking. And that's all of these reflections, turning us away from the sense of having to get things out there, having to have certain things, but really turning towards the seeing things, appreciating what we have, Appreciating this preciousness of this, this mind alone. The awareness. Appreciating this human birth. Its capacities, capabilities. Looking towards 
this truth of impermanence, of change. And not being, oh, everything changes. No, not being broken by this, but appreciating, seeing. This is the way things are. So what can happen when we aren't looking towards the happiness of the conditioned realm, of the conditioned world? What can happen when we really live with a sense of urgency in our lives that this moment is precious? This moment is now. It's here. This is where the possibility of awakening is. This is where we can realize the mind that is not limited by the conditioned world. We can realize the limitless. We can realize that which is unconditioned, which is where the mind is free, unbound. along with this you know, understanding, looking towards truth of impermanence, sometimes there it's helpful to bring in the reflection on death, the inevitability of it, that one day this body, this mind, this being, this, this constellation as it sits here right now will cease to be. Really bringing it home in our lives. You know, that this, this is impermanent. And, you know, if we imagine we're on our deathbed, what is it that's going to help us? You know, it's not going to be the new car that we just bought. And I bought one last week, and I love it. But <laughs> I think on my deathbed, <laughs> I, ho- I hope I can let go of it pretty easily. It's not going to be what supports me. It's not going to be all the things we have in our lives. It's going to be how we relate to this experience. we, We enter into practice with a mind that is inquisitive, inquiring, is looking. That's a way we can enter into death. To stay aware, be present. It's an adventure we know nothing about. It's an adventure into the unknown. If we have a stable mind, it won't be overwrought with fear. It won't be trying to deny it and cling to that which in that moment is truly passing right before our eyes. The understanding the truth of impermanence is what helps us to become vitally alive here and now. So it's not as if it crushes us. Nothing's worth living because it's just going to disappear. That's not that's half-baked wisdom. It's not true wisdom. <coughs> Understanding this law of karma, and I do know that when I first heard about karma, I, all I could think of was, "Oh, this is bad news here." <laughs> that are, you know, that that for somehow all of the bad things I ever did in my life were going to come back at me, um, and you know, could hold it in a way that my, the understanding of karma was being punished for something, and it isn't. It's something that is very. Um, Pragmatic, in a sense, that what we plant the seeds of is what we will reap the fruits of. And it's also, as I mentioned, very empowering because we are in this position where in in the present moment again, this is where the seeds get planted. And something as simple as being aware and being present to anger, to fear, is very different than planting seeds that perpetuate anger and fear. 
And then this last one of last reflection of contemplating the defects of samsara. You can do that with a chocolate bar pretty easily. If you buy a one-pound piece of chocolate, first piece might taste really good. Second piece could still be good. Third piece, it's changing. It's not bringing the same happiness. Fourth piece, fifth piece, blah, I think I don't feel so good anymore. You know, we can see that things just don't bring the promise that we give to them. You know, I've looked at, you know, going out, you're just getting, watching desire in the mind and seeing that I get what I desire as if it's going to bring happiness, but how long does that happiness live? Last. It's very short-lived. You know, the, the, the new car, the new dress, the new whatever. How long does it last? How long is it satisfying? And we just contemplate this. We see this. You know, and the, this is the kind of where renunciation plays in. In a sense, we start, we, we start to see that that which we've been grasping at, that which we've been desiring, actually isn't feeding us, isn't nourishing us. And then it really becomes quite natural to let go, to relinquish, because we see what we're really relinquishing is our suffering. And so we can let go. So these are just four reflections that you can bring in as a set. You can spend time reflecting on each one. You can find one that really is alive in your life at a certain time. And just spending some time with it in a way of contemplation, turning to mind, remembering um, your day, how, how things have unfolded, or appreciating, rejoicing in this human life. So I offer this to you this evening. And now I would like to open it up for any questions or comments about this. Anything that you may have to say about this. Does any of this ring true? Yeah? Yes. Just something that you know I thought about that I've thought before about um, sort of not the the truth um, the way that we take our lives for granted and don't see the preciousness is you know sort of endemic in working and having a job is how everybody is just like always so focused on getting to Friday. Mm-hmm. It's like all the time. Yeah. And uh, it's so easy, even like see, having like been seen that many times myself, and still getting, you know, looking so much forward to that, to the weekend, to just finally being able to relax, to have more time to practice or whatever it is, mm-hmm. and just wanting it so much. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. And it's like hard to be happy on a Monday or something. Yeah. So could you hear the comment in the back? No? Okay. So the comment is around seeing um, in this world how there's so much emphasis on everybody wanting to get to Friday, to have this weekend. And it is a sense of not recognizing the preciousness of life and having something out there in the future that we're waiting for and then wanting to have more time to practice. And Monday mornings are hard. Yeah. Any time that we're living, just trying to get through something to get to something that's better. Ooh, that's, a, that's for me one of the signals in my brain. To, you know, and it's like looking to see how it is that I can be alive in my work life where I might not like everything I do. 
you know, personally in my own work life, I don't get on very good with computers. You know, that they're challenging at times. And, you know, that's one of my least favorite things to do is to have to sit down at the computer and work. And yet I have to for some of the things I do. And so how do we do this? And this is where, you know, it's really like looking in our own minds as to where this, this can be a contemplation of the defects of samsara. You know, because we can put everything on Friday evening. But come where are we now? And who knows? We could die by Friday evening. Now we could be gone. And we were holding out. We'll live on Friday evening. It, it is. It's, you know, on, on one level, it's kind of scary to see how much we do this. And you can do it just in little activities during the day. You know, you, you're putting away the dishes to go and sit down and do something else that you'd like to do. There's so many little ways we do it. You know, and maybe at work we have some little things we enjoy, but others that we don't. And so, wow, we're giving it all away. But, you know, if we see this right there, in any moment that we see it, that's where the possibility is. That's where, in, we don't have to beat ourselves up that we got lost again that we were confused again, we had a deluded perception that we're going to live until Friday. No, we can just wake up right there. It just brings us right back to here and now. So I don't think you're alone in that one. (laughs) Yes. Uh, my name is Neil. Um, one uh, immediate effect of um, uh, karma that I kind of see is what, like if I get really defensive or angry at someone, they almost immediately mirror back. Or if someone gets defensive or angry at me, I tend to just mirror that energy back. Mm-hmm. So even on a more immediate level, we, there tends to be like if I get angry, then they're going to get angry. Then it's kind of just Snowball. Snowball, yeah. Yeah. That's very true. Thank you. That we can see in, in pretty immediate circumstances at times the snowball effect that can happen when some, one person comes in and they're angry and then another person just retaliates with anger and then you just, you know, you have this sense of it just repeating itself. And it is a really good way to have some tangible experience of what can seem abstract in the mind. Um, we can see it in, in ways like this. We can see it even just in sitting where uh, maybe we have a memory arise of something we did in the past. And we see the effect that it has on the mind right there. So, and this is, this is just really good to see, to see these different ways that we can come to know it in our own experience. And, and so practice is really good in this way. We can also see it in moments of loving kindness where you know, we just na- the heart has a natural generosity and that we can just feel what the effect is in the whole mind at that time. You know, so we can see it in really tangible ways in our lives. But sometimes the bearing of, we can't do it with expectation like, I, oh, I'll, I'll practice loving kindness today and then tomorrow will be a really good day. <laughs> no, it's not like it works in that way. <laughs> but th- thank you very much for that. Mm. Yes? Hi, my name is Eve. Um, one thing that I've been struggling a lot with um, lately is, is the idea of um, or the attachment to having things the way just how I like it. Mm-hmm. Like even just sitting down for meditation, it's like, okay, I have to have my cushion just like this. Yeah. Just like it's like this need to have this control over it. And it, like I feel like it's something that it, like it doesn't really affect anyone else but me. So why should it, like, what's the big deal that I want my cushion like this? But I just I can't let go of the idea of like having to set things up so they're pleasing to me and, mm-hmm. and that I'm kind of in control and I've been wrestling with that. And, Mm-hmm. and figure out why I need that. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, actually, the, uh, a Zen master once said to me that it's, it's completely natural that we'll have preferences. It's whether or not we suffer when we don't get our preferences. 
And so I think there, it's a great exploration that you're doing and to just see that, yes, there's certain things we can make be more comfortable, more easeful, and that's perfectly fine. But then there could be, you know, a day you sit down and there is a certain, there's achiness flu in the body. And, you know, that's what's there. That's what is present in our experience. And so it's where, where we set up that it has to be a certain way to be happy rather than just of things can be okay in this moment too. But when it changes, do we suffer? So watching where we're, we're really feeding into and it becomes so important and we're attached to. And for me, one of the big things was just noticing the pain that comes from doing that. Noticing the amount of energy that goes in trying to get something right. And well, I had a great lesson not so long ago. We renovated our kitchen. This is the first time that we've owned a piece of property my life and and so we put some money into renovating the kitchen and took care you know we brought in someone to help us to figure out colors and what kind of materials to use we had a really good carpenter it was came out it was finished and I looked at it and it wasn't perfect no it was just like what you're talking about and again it's like there was a moment where I realized it's okay. I can live with the imperfection. You know, that it doesn't have to be that way. But And it was really freeing to see I don't have to have it be perfect. This is good enough. But paying attention in that whole habit is what will help to release it. And it, so it's not needing to judge ourselves that we're bad. You know, because I do, I have had in my life a really strong streak of perfectionism. You know, my mother tells a story of when I was a little child, I came home from school and wouldn't stop crying. She called up a friend and asked the friend what happened. And the friend said, she answered a question wrong. You know, painful, huh? You know, so we can start to see how much pain is invested in trying to get it right, trying to get it perfect, and just letting go where we can. Being present, being aware in our pattern. It's huge. Because that's where we're not feeding. We're not planting more seeds that I have to get it right in the future, that I'm in control, that I can do this. But we just turn up in our lives. We be present. We work with what comes as best we can. Yeah? This desire for perfectionism fuels a huge amount. Huge. And it's so painful. Yes? I've been exploring some of these questions recently in my own life in a, from a slightly different slant, though. It's, mm-hmm. it's interesting. I've been, you know, like it's been discussed throughout my life, I've had a tendency to try to cling really hard to getting things just right and having them be just so. But <clears throat> the circumstances of my life have changed a fair amount in the last couple of months and I now I'm, I'm living alone and I had the opportunity to kind of set up my kitchen in a rented place, not a renovation, but you know, get the spoon that I like and, <laughs> and the this and the little things and stuff. Yeah. And, and I've been incredibly happy about it. It's just giving me such joy. And you know, I pick up this beautiful spoon and I think, this is a beautiful spoon. And I'm glad I bought this spoon. And I love this spoon. And it truly gives me happiness. And then this part of me goes, hey, but wait a minute, you shouldn't be getting pleasure out of material things, you know, and there's this scoldy voice that comes through. But and and in a way that would take probably an awful lot of words to talk about these four truths that you talked about tonight, which thank you for, by the way, have, have, have both woven through and helped illuminate and also um, sort of articulate part of what I have discovered on mm. my own, yeah. which yeah, is yeah. that if I, if 
part of what allows me to have pure appreciation for this spoon, let's say, mm-hmm. is number one, the knowledge. It is of the nature to be gone. I am of the nature to die. Mm-hmm. It is of the nature. Everything that is part of me, whatever the chant is, will, will someday not be so. Mm-hmm. So this is impermanent. Yeah. But yet I can appreciate it. Yeah. And I'm not yeah. clinging to it. Yeah. So this combination of sort of joyous Thank you. That's a great description. And the, it, the, these reflections are what they turn the mind towards. We will discover in our lives because it is, it is the way things are. And um, as we practice and uncover the truth, this is what we see. Um, this is what helps us to turn towards truth. Um, an understanding of conditioned reality that is useful, helpful, and helps us to be fully alive. So thank you for that. And I realize it's 9 o'clock and that it's um, time again to part ways. So I thank you all for coming here tonight, for being here, for your presence. And I wish you well on this journey of awakening that we are on together. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.